team. And I just want to thank all of you who are praying for me as I am adjusting uh, to my, a new lifestyle and learning to like food I hate. <laughs> yeah, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ. How about we switch? Play up in the mind. Amen. I want to uh, invite you to join me at verse seven. I want to finish off the verses. Pastor Heyman so aptly read in our hearing, actually, uh, verse 6, starting with verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, what I am, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Foot washers needed. Let us pray. Father God, in the powerful name of Jesus, we want you to have your way. We thank you that you have touched us, you've made us whole, and we will never cease to give you praise and glory. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to, could you move that back just a little bit, but keep it directed towards me. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Amen. If you are a student of history, you will be aware of the name D.L. Moody. He is a famous American evangelist who in the 1800s was the Billy Graham of his day. D.L. Moody's name was a household commodity on the tongues of Christians throughout the churches within America. He is a prolific writer, an excellent orator, and he was in great demand as a lecturer around the country. He organized a lecture in a place called Northfield, Massachusetts, at the college there. And people from around the country made their way to the conference on evangelism. And uh, a contingent of students traveled as far as Great Britain to be under the tutelage of this great, renowned evangelist. During the night, uh, D.L. Moody made a decision to walk through the dormitory where the students that were going to be a part of the lecture, lecture was, were housed. And he noticed outside of the doors of all of the students who had traveled from England they had left their shoes, questioning the reason they did it. He learned that it was the tradition of those from England to place their shoes outside of the door whenever they were staying in a guest's home with the expectation in the morning the shoes would be cleaned and shined. Not wanting to embarrass his guests, D.L. Moody invited 
some of the students from the university to assist him with cleaning and shining shoes. He got no takers. That night, after everyone had gone to sleep, D.L. Moody returned to the dorm and he gathered all of the shoes. And he took it upon himself, the conference speaker, the champion of the faith, renowned evangelist, to clean all of the shoes and to shine them. And as he was completing the task, someone knocked on his door and they noticed what he was doing. He was not trying to draw attention to himself. He was not looking for recognition. He returned the shoes, and the next morning, when the students from England got up, their shoes were cleaned and shined, and they had no idea that the person that would be teaching and preaching to them that day had also served them out of a spirit of humility. The person who had come to D.L. Moody's room and saw what he did, he shared it with the students, and they were, they were moved to conviction. Um, from that day until the conference was over, volunteers participated in cleaning and shining the shoes of their guests from England. Humility is that little thing that could have been missing that might have made an indelible negative impression on the students who were visiting from England. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he exalts, he gives grace to the humble. Someone has said that pride comes to us naturally as sleeping and smiling. You don't have to teach anybody to be proud. And I don't care how humble, humble, when we, people really want to say they're humble, they don't say humble, they say, I'm humble. If you're saying you're humble, then you, that's something that other people should say about you. <laughs> I'm humble, okay. Add that. Uh, you don't have to teach us to be selfish, to want to be recognized. To think our way is the only way, is really the best way, because it's our way. John the baptizer, when his disciples noticed that Jesus' crowd was growing larger than his, his followers said that Jesus has a bigger church. More people are joining his ministry, and to their shock and amazement, John the baptizer, who the Bible said, Jesus speaking, was the greatest human being who ever walked the face of the earth. You need to do a study of the John baptizer, why Jesus said that. But this, the, 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 the essence of why Jesus said it is what is recorded in, in, in John chapter uh, 13, verse, uh, John chapter 3, verse 30, where, Jesus, where, where John the baptizer says, he must increase and I must decrease. Humility serves others by meeting needs without seeking recognition. It goes the extra mile to bless intentionally. You do it intentionally. Uh, our flesh is not going to automatically do what doesn't get recognized and applauded. The Greek word for our English word humility is tapino, tapino. And it literally refers to height, height. And it suggests making oneself close to the ground. It means taking the lower position. Tapino, taking the lower position, lowering yourself to the ground. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. That's not what that means. It does mean thinking less about ourselves. It means not thinking less about ourselves, but thinking less about, in other words, not thinking about ourselves so much. You got that? Amen, amen. Humility says, I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am by the grace of God. The house that I live in, the money that I have, the people that I know, the credentials that I have, the position, the authority, 
doesn't make me who I am. I am who I am by the grace of God. Humility understands that the greatest person in the kingdom will always be the servant of all. What Jesus said that for those who have used their gifts, we ultimately, when we stand before the Lord, he's not going to say, Bishop so-and-so and uh, elder so-and-so and pastor so-and-so. He's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. <laughs> the Lord ain't looking for superstars. He's looking for servants. And I almost titled this sermon, You Can't Beat Me Serving. You, can't, you might look a little better than me sometimes. <laughs> but you can't beat me serving because the Lord, the Lord, is going to bless, the Bible says, that is required of a, of, a, of, a, of a steward to be found faithful. Nobody can out-faithful you. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus gives us a clear but profound definition of what humility is. He said in, in Luke chapter 14, he says, unless you are willing to deny yourself you are not worthy to follow me. And so, so humility in its barest essence is simply denying ourselves. Humility is denying ourselves. It is putting the interests of others above our own. Somebody say amen. amen. The Lord is looking for foot washers today. I don't know that there are too many people that would sign up for that job posting. But in order to wash feet, and we're going to see that there are literal feet washing, that foot washing that actually occurs in our text today, but it also symbolic of taking the lower position, lowering yourself to the position of a servant and meeting the greatest and deepest need. The Bible says in verses, verse 5 and 12 to 14, it says, and at this, and at that, after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he had girded himself. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment and sat down, he said to them, and he asked the question, do you know what I have done? And ultimately says, what I have modeled before you, do for one another. In, Acts, in, in, in this passage, in John chapter 13, we are invited by the Spirit of God to a most, the most intense hour of the life of Jesus while he lived on the face of the earth as the incarnate Christ. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word, the Word in John chapter 1 verse 14, the Bible says the Word became incarnate, the Word took on flesh. And we beheld his glory, even as the glory of the only, as the only begotten son, the only mogul Ganes, the only one of his kind, the only one of his rank, the son of God. We beheld his glory. The Bible said he came unto his own, but his own knew him not. He came into the world, but the world received him not. And so Jesus lived a life on earth as a rejected savior. But now he, are, he is within hours. Of that out of that time of going to the cross and bearing our sin. And we discover in the other gospels that Jesus informs his disciples that it's countdown time, that I'm going to depart, I'm heading back to Jerusalem. And, and when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be turned over into the hands of cruel men, and they will, they are going to put me to death after having falsely accused me, I will be executed on a cross. And so when the disciples heard this, you would have thought that they would have been sympathetic. You would have thought that they would have consoled Jesus, that they would, they, that they would be mindful of the fact that this was really the end for Christ's earthly life. And if this thing was so serious, when you, when, you, when you look in Matthew chapter 26, one of the things that Jesus did as he came closer to the hour where he would be 
ultimately turned over into the hands of those who would put him to death, the Bible says that he asked Peter, James, and John to join him in prayer. And three separate times after he prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, three times, nevertheless, thy will be done, not my will be done. He found them sleeping. But before they nod off, in Matthew chapter 20, we find they're thinking, finally, our sacrifices for Jesus, their sacrifices for Jesus, are going to pay off. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to press this magical lottery switch, and his kingdom in heaven will be manifest on earth, and we will find ourselves in positions of authority. And so we're told that the disciples got into an argument, not about how they could, how they could support Jesus and comfort Jesus. They argued about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. James and John, these masculine brothers, full of confidence and strength, put their mother up to going to Jesus and saying, she bows in front of Jesus as if she's worshiping, and Jesus said, what do you really want? being paraphrased, and she said, when you get into your kingdom, would you remember these strong, confident, macho men, my sons, and allow them to sit on your right and your left-hand side? And so they were fighting about who would be in charge, who would have the top position, who would be in the front of the church, who would have the special seat, who would get the title, who would be the most important, who would have the most followers, whose selfies would be looked at the most. And Jesus, hearing their argument, rebukes them and instructs them, and he says, it may it never be amongst us. This is how people in the world find significance. They look for importance by where their office is situated in the building. They look for importance by the degrees behind their name. They determine importance and significance by who they are associated with. He said, but not among you. Because humility is not a struggle for the top, it's a struggle for the bottom. Jesus even said, I did not come to be served. I have come to seek and to serve. I have put myself in a position where I could elevate you to a right relationship with God the Father by emptying myself, by voluntarily refusing to use all my divine attributes at all times. He, he emptied himself as a servant. Somebody say amen. Amen. And even though Jesus rebukes the disciples and instructs them, this is not the way it should be. They enter into the house where the Lord's Supper is going to be instituted as we are going to do today. We're going to observe the Lord's table. And how five days earlier in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus is is marched in on, 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 on the back of a donkey, and the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in name. They're celebrating Jesus, and they, they, they're presenting him as a king. And so that's a part of the confusion of the disciples. Oh, maybe the people are going to make Jesus king. And so they're assuming that this is the time. They still didn't get the memo. And so as they enter into the place where the Lord's Supper will be first established, the Bible says they gather around and they eat a meal. And after the meal is over, Jesus does something that was striking. He takes a towel and he places it around his waist. And he gets a basin of water and he kneels down and he begins to wash their dirty feet. Now, just imagine working in your garden and digging through the dirt, pushing through bugs. <laughs> Lord have mercy. And then coming into the house and sitting at the table and having a meal without washing your hands. That was the equivalent of coming into a house and eating with dirty feet. That's what they did. They ate with dirty feet because none of them were going to subject themselves 
to be the one who would volunteer to wash another person's feet because then that would have meant that the others were more important. And so what they, would, what they refused to do, what was customary for guests to, to receive when they came into a house, uh, someone would wash their feet for them. What they refused to do, Jesus, the great teacher, Jesus, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, he bowed down. And he washes their feet. Included in that group of dirty feet was Judas, who would betray him. I don't know if I would wash his feet. But Jesus, our model, our example, washed their feet. And they were cool with that. He, he, they still didn't get it. Oh, thank you. That feels pretty good. Run, run, put some little water over here. But my question as I looked at this scripture is how was it possible for Jesus to be cool with washing their feet when they should have been washing his feet? How was he able to do that? And if we are going to walk in humility, and the Bible says God will exalt us, God will bless us, God makes a way because pride, when we are prideful, says pride comes before destruction. We as a nation are heading for destruction. We are, we are in a vehicle led by leaders who have blindfolds on, and the blindfold that, they are, that, that, that is keeping them from seeing that destruction is ahead of us is pride. How was it possible for Jesus the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He who once was dead, but now is alive. How was it possible for him to wash dirty feet? Well, we learn in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13 that serving others is never convenient. He understood that. Meeting the needs of others when it's a real need, it is never convenient. There's always something else that we could excuse ourselves from serving to do. Let, watch, listen to what the scripture says. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, say his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them until the end. Jesus knew that his hour had come. The hour of betrayal when Judas would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The hour when Jesus would be beaten throughout the night, beaten beyond recognition, sped on. When he would have a crown of thorns thrusted on his head and causing blood to stream down. When he would be twirled around and punched and sped on. He knew that the hour of betrayal and beating had come. He knew that the hour of berating had come. You said that you are the son of God. Guess who hit you? He knew that that hour had come. He knew that the hour of bearing the cross for our sins had come. This was a bad day. This was the day that Jesus came into the world to ultimately accomplish the work of God for his life. So if anybody deserved to break that day, if anybody deserved to have his feet washed that day, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus understood that if you're going to help people, it won't be convenient. It won't be convenient. Aren't you glad about it? Anybody that's ever had children, you understand that. Those jokers don't cry when, 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 it, when, you, when you get ready to go to sleep, they start crying. And I don't care how much time you, as a brother, you can hold that child because you're trying to give your a break. And they go, ah, ah, they're just crying and screaming. And you walking, you tired, and you, you try not to be angry. We did this thing together. I'm going to be, you're going, going through this. And then the wife help, picks the baby up in the Bible. Baby goes quickly to sleep. How in the world? That ain't even fair. So God has fixed this thing in such a way that a baby understands the rhythm of its mother's heartbeat. But it's still not convenient to have your sleep broken to feed a little crumb snatcher that you just fed. They suck anything. You put your finger in there, you're trying to take your finger off, and then you finally get the bottle in. And helping others is not convenient. And so 
and so Jesus understood that. He understood that his hour had come. His hour had come. But he also, in the hour that was before him for betrayal and berate and all of that, he knew he still had his disciples and he had you and I on his mind. The Bible says he loved them until the end. When you are controlled by the spirit of God and operating in the spirit of humility, you will be thinking about others, even at your own inconvenience. The Bible says that we ought to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He said, who who looked beyond the cross, despising the shame. Why? Because he saw you and he saw me. He saw, he looked beyond our fault and he saw our need. And so he was willing to serve so that the church that followed would know that the essential foundation of what it means to be a Christian, and I'm jumping ahead, is to be humble. If you know my nothing else, it ought, to be, it ought to be said of you that you deny yourself that it's about Jesus and it's not really about you. It's not about you getting your way. It's about him being glorified. That's what should be said of you. Too many of us want to be in the limelight, but there's really only one light. We're just fleeting stars. Jesus is the light of the world. And and, and, and we don't need to do any star search. The star has been found. And his name is Jesus. And everything that we do in word and in deed, we ought to be glorifying him. He must increase. And I must decrease. The worst thing that could happen today after the sermon is say, boy, did Pastor Ben. I want you to see Jesus. When, you, when, when you're going through at the, in your midnight hour, I'm not going to be there, but Jesus. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm going to learn how to use this watch. <laughs> he had you on his mind serving others. It's never convenient. It's amazing to me how people, unless they're in charge of something, unless they're going to get something out of the getting out of it, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You ought to try that sometime. There's a joy when you give yourself away. The Bible says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is the least we can do. When I present myself as a sacrifice, it becomes a sweet-smelling aroma. I was checking out uh, Pastor Heyman. I said, well, what you got on today? That, that smelled pretty good. He said, my wife. Now, I don't know what he said after that. He said some, some old exotic cologne, but... What kind of cologne are you sending up to Jesus? Or is it a foul scent of arrogance and pride? We are surrounded by that. We, we gravitate to that. Pride. We watching nonsense because we want to, we want to be associated with, with, the, with the dirt connected to celebrities. They are but dust like we are. Somebody say Amen. Serving is never convenient. Here's the second thing. Serving others does not define who you are. Somebody say, serving does not define who I am. Amen. The Bible says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Jesus knew who he was. Washing feet didn't make him any less than the eternal son of God. Washing feet did not change his eternal address. He, was, he came from heaven. He was going back to heaven and washing somebody's feet. Then, oh, man, he must be from the hood because he wouldn't be doing this kind of job. He works at McDonald's. He works at Burger King. Where you work doesn't determine who you are. 
I keep going back to it. He did not regard equality with God something that he had to obtain or to exploit. He existed in the form of God, taking on the, the voluntarily the, the, the position of a servant that he might die for us. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He said, and all things have been given to me. He knew what was his. If you know who you are, sweeping the floor doesn't make you less. Well, I don't do no sweeping the floor. That's what they had slaves doing. I, I'm always, I always laugh when I uh, go into the rooms, uh, uh, work as a hospice chaplain, and people are dying, and I'll go in and I'll say to the families, uh, family, how can I serve you? You say, oh, no, you, we don't need you to serve us. Oh, we're good. We're good. That, that, please let us help you. Oh, I don't mean it. Okay. And then you go into family, black folk, they say, how can I say, oh, you can give us this. Oh, go get the ice cream. Did you see that piece of paper on the floor? <laughs> so I'm going to have to change my, my little script there. Black folk believe in, and you say, let me serve you. They're about to put you to work. <laughs> I worked uh, my first real job. I worked in an auto mechanic shop where the mechanics repaired cars for the mayor, the city, trash trucks, anything that had to do with the city, they repaired. And I was heading to college in the fall. And my supervisor, black man, he said, stay away from those grease monkeys. He called his staff, privately told me, stay away from those grease monkeys. You're a college man. Now, the mechanics that I was around they could take an, an entire engine out, and you never see a drop of oil on them. That's how skilled they were. They would be working. You wouldn't even hear them open. I mean, they'd be taking and lifting up stuff, and they just were so proud of their profession and skilled and gifted that they, they I mean, they, it was like an ongoing competition that no one spoke. Now, I listened to... The supervisor, stay away from those guys. Of course, when the water in my battery needs to be changed, it's the car sat in front of my house for three weeks because I didn't know how to change the water in the battery. And somebody said, Put, check to see if there's water in the battery. What's the battery? Now, I, was, I had been for months sitting under the tutelage that was available to me by the best mechanics probably in the state of Pennsylvania, but some foolish man attached what I did to who I would be. The Bible says that a little child, you can learn from a child. I don't care how much I prepare the word of God. There's still something I don't know, something that you can help me with. And so if I have to come behind and clean up and, and help you in your house when you're going through depression, when, you've been, when you're grieving and, and, and your heart is broken, I don't care if I'm a pastor, I'll come to pray with you, but I'll help you clean up too. It may not look as great as you would want it to, but I'll help if I could. What you do does not make you who you are. All you discover is after you climb this ladder of success, you get all of the credentials, you travel the world, and you still end up in a bed dying, returning to the dust from which you came. God said, what shall it profit you if you gain everything the world can offer you, but you lose your soul? I'd rather be rich in heaven than extravagant on earth. And the way God counts what is profitable is the things that we do for him out of a spirit of humility. Are you a humble person? Are you a humble person? I, I could go on and on. I thought I was the most humble person on the planet until somebody said, you're prideful. And I've shared this. Best thing that somebody ever did to me to tell me I was prideful. You have anybody that can tell you that? And know that you won't, you will speak to them in the next three or four weeks. <laughs> Pride prevents God from releasing 
his full manifestation in the church. Pride will keep, you can't grow if you're prideful because you're too confident in what you already know. Jesus was able to wash their feet because he understood that serving others is never convenient. He understood that serving does not make you who you are. He also understood that serving others means that you get your hands dirty. He left eternity. He left the glory of heaven. Not because we deserved it. He didn't see the best in you. He saw the worst in you. But in spite of that, he came. He who knew no sin became sin for you and me, that we through him would become the righteousness of God. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, not because I'm good, but by faith, we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Serving others means you got to get your hands dirty. Well, I read my Bible today, and I, had, I, I remember I had a couple of scriptures. Scriptures. <laughs> what have you done with the word that you're learning? Now, remember, he washed the feet of Judah. We don't have no problem washing the feet of our family. But what about people outside of your family that have needs? He left heaven's glory. He became poor that we might become rich. He literally washed their feet. I remember we had, uh, I, I was, uh, I was a, the conference speaker for our youth retreat, about 175 youth. And the theme was serving others. And I came up with this idea, we're going to have a foot washing service. And uh, everybody paired off. And uh, I must have washed about 15 feet. Man, there's some bad looking feet, man. <laughs> I had to put some, yeah. So I washed all these feet and everything. Then somebody came to wash mine. I found that I had a different kind of pride. I didn't want to receive what I was giving. It was uncomfortable receiving my feet being washed. They, had to, they literally had to, you know, you... you so I finally took my feet. It wasn't because my feet are so ugly, but praise the Lord, they work. But thank you, Jesus. I mean, we're getting ready to have us a manicure, too. It's a manicure, pedicure, pedicure. We're going to do all that. But sometimes people who have a servant spirit have a hard time receiving. And if the truth be told, we really don't want anybody to think they did anything for us. Or we don't think that we're worthy to get anything. You talk to me, oh, you are such an excellent musician. And they say, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And I said, I, I could have sworn I saw your fingers hitting those keys. It's okay to accept a compliment. Someone was telling me uh, the other I was in there were complimenting me about, you know, I, I had a jacket on. Or do you look nice today? And I said, thank you. And then a Christian woman said, in the name of Jesus, you say thank you. You don't have to say in the name of Jesus to accept a compliment. You don't have to tell them how much it cost and how you got it off of consignment and, and how it's been in the top of your closet for 17 years and 37 seconds. Just say thank you. That's humility to accept a compliment. You know where it came from. He washed their feet. He did not wash their feet for recognition because they deserved it. And there's no indication that after he washed their feet that any one of them said thank you. That's what messes us up. Oh, I'll do it today, but they never said thank you. We can't get over it. Now we didn't sin because we aren't forgiving because they didn't say thank you. Questions, why did you do it? We ought to do it without any intention of getting recognized. Servants who have a heart of humility. How do you know if you're a servant? Well, that's an easy question to answer. How do you respond when people treat you like one? I know me. And I you know, don't you think I'm, I'm some, some waiting on you hand and foot? 
Marriages would be a lot better if we would do what the scripture says, submit yourselves one to another. It takes humility to submit one to another. Wives, it takes, it takes humility to come under the authority of your own husband. When you don't agree, as long as what he is saying lines up with the word of God, husbands, it takes humility to love your wife as Christ loved the church. With spot and wrinkles. Serving means that you got to get your hands dirty. We were in Niagara Falls. I started this ministry that we, uh, uh, street evangelism. Every year I would train groups of churches, and the churches would join, and we would go out. First, we, it was just our church going out, and people saw it, and they were really blessed and so grateful that the church left its four walls to bring the ministry, the good news to them. People were just so great. They bring their wine bottles. They sit right there just on their beach chairs. Full house, more people outside for church than were actually inside the building. And I remember telling one of the ministers that this is what we're going to do. And he says, Pastor, come here. Come here. It's okay. He said, I want to show you something. So I said, okay. He takes me to the front door of the church, and we look outside of the church, and this is Gluck Park. It's filled with kids. I said, that's our mission field. He said, nope, that's not our mission field. He said, our mission field are the people that are in this church. They come from good families. They should stay out there. <laughs> and we should take care of those who are in here. And I said, bro, how many people did Jesus die for? Where did Jesus say our ministry should start? But after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and Judea. Why would we go elsewhere and not reach the people that are right outside? It was a park, park full of kids. And he could not see the need because he did not want to get his hands dirty. He did not want to get his hands dirty. I remember asking him to share his testimony uh, during that time. We were out. We finally started. We were out at the church. There was packed. People sitting on their porches and et cetera. I said, share your testimony, brother, how the Lord saved you. He said, I forgot it and left it home. <laughs> so after, after we had our church outreach, I, I said, I, I'd like to meet you, meet with you. He said, so. I said, I only have one problem with you. I said, you're more impressed with yourself than I'm impressed with you. And so and, and, and Jesus is. And he got up and he slammed the door, tried to take the door off the hinges, but he didn't come back again. Doing ministry is not a holy huddle. It's not how many Bible verses you know. Oh, I'm glad you're here. The reason we come to church is so that I can equip you to do the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Jesus did not die for us to be keepers of the aquarium, but fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Getting your hands dirty means that you restore Christians who have fallen into sin. Submitting yourselves in prison. Going to the Breakfast City Sunday Breakfast Mission. Weeping with those who are weeping. Oh, we have more people committing suicide and an epidemic of drug addiction because we're not doing the dirty work of ministry. Encouraging single people who want to get married. I say to singles, do you want to get married? Oh, Pastor, you know. Um, yes, you do. I say, you have not because you ask not. We need to humble ourselves and say, yep, pray for me. I want a husband. I want a wife. It takes humility for men to make commitments and stop jumping in one bed to the next bed, talking about they're trying to figure it out. Figure it out with your zipper up. <laughs> Getting your hands dirty means that you pick people up for church who need a ride. Encouraging uh, by opening up your home and breaking bread, feeding people, bringing them to your house. Blessing your enemy and praying for people who can't stand you. And you know they can't stand you. Forgiving people that have hurt you. Making disciples that make disciples. That's getting your hands dirty. Pay, pray, paying somebody's bill. Oh, we did, the, the, the Lord didn't give me that gift. He said that we should bear one another's burdens. 
If somebody need money and you got a couple dollars, you should help them. Somebody say amen. Well, let them call the church. They don't have to call the church. You are the church. Visiting people who are sick. Are you willing to get your hands dirty? Jesus was able to wash feet because he understood that serving is never convenient. That serving doesn't make you who you are. Serving involves getting your hands dirty. Here's, here's the last thing. Serving others shows who you, whose you are, whose you are. Jesus came, and he was washing Peter's feet. And Peter, not my feet. No, nobody of significance in your status can wash feet. And Jesus said, unless you let me wash your feet, you don't belong to me. Unless you're willing to receive what you need from me, you don't belong to me. And ultimately, the, the, the greatest washing of feet that Jesus did by way of uh, humility was what he did on the cross. And so in, in, implied is that the, the washing of the feet was a, 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 an indication that you were willing to accept what Jesus was ultimately going to do, and that is give his life for us. And so Peter said, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well wash my feet in my hair. Just give me a bath. And Christ says, you don't need a bath because you've already been clean. But those who are clean constantly will need their feet washed, will constantly need to come before the Lord to confess daily sins. And so we don't, get, we don't, get our, we don't need to get clean to get saved over and over again. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me are in his hands, and no one can pluck them out of God's hands. So your salvation is secure, but fellowship is not. That's why the Bible said that we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us. And so I need to constantly get my feet clean, that which is representative of dirt and sin. And the scripture says, if I confess my sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Peter got, got it, that I need to be humble and allow Jesus to do what he needs to do for me. But then the rest of them got it. Jesus said, what I have done, you do also. And this is not an ordinance of the church. The church has two ordinances, baptism and communion. Washing of feet is symbolic of an act of humility. Be humble towards one another. When you are humble, that says to the world that you belong to Jesus because humility is not valued in the world. It's not something that the world would say is an, act, is an example of strength, but in the body of Christ, serving others, serving others shows that you belong to Christ. If you are arrogant and prideful, and can't do anything unless somebody's patting you on the back. If you aren't in charge, if you aren't up front, rather than whatever it takes to make the, that's what, whatever I do in word or deed, I just want to glorify God. Amen. Whatever I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. That's what humility says. Pride says, well, if I ain't doing it, they ain't going to get me no credit. Why am I doing this? The devil is a liar. I thank God that we have a spirit of humility in our church. But it's not something that is automatic. It has to be sustained. I shared with you when I, stand with me, decided to go to Dallas Theological Seminary. I was pleasantly surprised. I was listening to a message from Chuck Swindoll, Dr. Chuck Swindoll, probably my all-time favorite. He said when he applied to Dallas Seminary, they accepted him on probation. And I felt pretty good because I got accepted, but I was on probation. And I remember I was shocked that 98% of the student body was white. Nobody told me that. I was from the hood. Nobody told me that I had to take three years of Greek and two years of Hebrew. I didn't pay attention. They just said, go to Dallas Seminary. I had five years of Spanish, and I don't know, a, I know one line. So I'm now taking three years of Greek and two years of Hebrew. 
But I had done very well at Cheney. Graduated with a 4.8. Pretty, pretty impressive. So I get to Dallas Seminary. I'm all in. And we had three exams in the same week. I studied harder than I ever had started studied in my entire life, longer than I ever studied. And I went in, I was confident. And all the students would go down to the student post office and you would open up your, and you get your, get your mail and the grades. And I went down to get mine and all those brothers were celebrating, they were high-fiving and elbow pumping and talking about how good they got. And I'm like, oh, can't wait to see my, I failed all three. A 70 is an F in Dallas, a 70. So when I saw that, I lost it. I just started crying, grown man, grown man. I, said, I decided I quit. This is it. I'm, I'm in the wrong place. Why did I do this? So I'm walking back to the dorm. Every intention of calling home, they probably weren't going to send any money to get me. I was 1,500 miles away from home. As I'm walking, a white brother put his hand on my shoulder. I didn't know him from Adam. And he said these words, God did not bring you this far to leave you. And he was gone. He said it and he was gone. I can't tell you how he looked other than he knew he was white and I didn't know him. His willingness to get his hands dirty, to take a risk, to just say what God put on his heart caused me to decide I'm not quitting. God brought me here. That's why I'm here. What God was doing through those three failures, he was humbling me. I wasn't going to make it through that seminary without God. Once God stripped me of me, I made it through. I did well. But somebody, somebody was willing to step out of the box and say, what changed my life? God is looking for foot washers. People need those who care enough to do something, even if it's just picking up the phone, texting people, getting them off of the, the, the screen. That's not a friend. That's not a relationship. This is relationship. But if it stops when we leave church, we still have failed. Are you willing are you willing to wash some feet? Are you willing to serve? Start at home. I'm still waiting for my wife to wash my feet. I know. I'm going to get a pedicure first. Not pedicure. Pedicure. Pedicured. <laughs> that sounds like amputation pedicured. You know, we're going to do that together again. We did that. And then we can wash each other's feet. Try that. Wash, the, 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 all you're doing is washing feet. This ain't no sensual, nothing. This is just washing feet. <laughs> How that makes you feel. Jesus was willing. Are you willing? Let us pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we are so grateful that you're willing to get your hands dirty. Yeah.